lifetime, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. I think that something is working, hopefully. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, the Feast of St. Joan of Arc. In the annals of martyrdom, few stories shine as brightly as that of St. Joan of Arc. On the eve of Corpus Christi in 1431, Joan of Arc faced an unjust and tragic fate. Tied to a stake surrounded by a pile of firewood, she was labeled a heretic apostate and idolater. A crowd gathered, and 600 English soldiers stood guard. As she arrived at the site, she requested a cross, a symbol of her unwavering faith. An English soldier fashioned a cross from the broken stick of a lance, and Joan clutched it in her hands. Bound to the stake, she called out to St. Michael. Her voice resounding through the square, the executioner lit the firewood, and the flames roared to life. Yet amidst the inferno, Joan's spirit remained unyielding. With great conviction, she cried out, proclaiming her fidelity to her mission, declaring, I was not mistaken. The voices came from heaven. In just moments, it was over. The ashes were scattered into the waters of the Seine River, including her heart, which had remained intact, untouched by the flames. Reflecting on this poignant martyrdom, we are struck by the injustice of that placard around her neck, branding her a heretic. It parallels the fabrication of false accusations against those who fight against progressivism today. Joan's unwavering belief in the voices from heaven stands as a testament to her sanctity, while the tribunals attempt to discredit her and attribute them to witchcraft exposes their malevolence. In her final moments, Joan's warrior spirit burned brightly. She requested a cross, underscoring the solemnity of her oath. As the flames consumed her body, she called out, defying her enemies, and encouraging the French resistance against English domination. 
Her cry reverberated through the square, urging her countrymen to persevere, assuring them that victory would be granted from heaven. Amidst the searing flames, a remarkable phenomenon occurred. The fire spared her heart. It was a miraculous affirmation of the truth that she had proclaimed. The voices came from heaven. Yet recognizing the power that her heart could inspire, the English commanders feared its influence. They discarded into the river, an act characteristic of the hardened hearts of the impious. St. Joan of Arc's martyrdom remains a beacon of heroism and devotion. Her unyielding spirit, her resolute face, faith, and her fearless proclamation at the hour of her death continue to inspire generations. Let us honor in her memory and follow in her footsteps, fighting against injustice and proclaiming the truth until the triumph of God's kingdom is achieved. St. Joan of Arc, pray for us. Now, happy Tuesday to you. I hope you had a blessed Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're, it was very restful and was able to get some things accomplished. So maybe going on vacation. I hope you had a great time. At 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about a number of stories. And namely, two pro-lifers were viciously assaulted outside of Baltimore Planned Parenthood. And Texas lawmakers advanced school safety bill requiring mental health training and armed security on campuses. At 30 past the hour, two more Catholic-related news. Regis Martin, which you may remember him, we've interviewed him in the past, and we'll probably have to invite him on and talk about this. He called Pope Francis on the cell phone, which I'm like, how does how does he how does one do that? How does one get his Pope Francis' phone number? We're gonna be talking about that story. Also, a number of bishops stand up against the LA Dodgers. We're gonna be congratulating those bishops at at 30 past the hour. And in the next hour, we're gonna be talking about honoring the Lord's Day. And domestic church customs for the Pentecost octave, because we're now in the Pentecost octave. And as always, we have our Fear and Trembling game show, where if you call in today, today we're going to give out the prize. Because tomorrow and Thursday and Friday, we have a GR, we are going to be at the GRN Family Retreat. So we will not be in. So it will be a pre-recorded shows tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. So today is the only day for the game show. So if you call in for the game show today, you will be the winner. And so let's begin with prayer. We pray for everything that you have going on in your lives. We pray for the end to the scourge of abortion for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. And we pray that we uh, have a successful show today. We pray today is going to be the last day, or I guess tomorrow will be the last day we pray the subtomb, and then we're going to pray a prayer to the Sacred Heart starting in June. So we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Subtum presidium confugimus sancta dei genitrix nostra deprecationes ne despicias in necitatibus. Sera periculis cumtis libra no semper vergo gloriosa et benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O holy mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed virgin. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, today is Tuesday, May 30th, on Odomini 2023, and these are your headlines. CNA is reporting that the body of Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, an American nun of African heritage whose surprisingly intact remains have remained, have created a sensation at a remote Missouri Abbey, was placed inside a glass display case Monday after a solemn procession led by members of the community she founded. 
CNA is reporting after several years in the making, the U.S. Post Office in Harrington, Kansas, will be changing its name to the Captain Emil J. Capone Post Office Building on May 30th. This endeavor, which is today, this endeavor was first introduced in 2021 through a bill written by U.S. Representative Tracy Mann, who wished to honor the life of the great Kansan and American hero. Catholic World News and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch are reporting the Archdiocese of St. Louis will close 35 parishes of its 178 parishes in a major reorganization, giving new assignments to 155 priests. And finally, Catholic World News is reporting Pope Francis in an interview describes unborn children as a living being. I'm not saying a person. Pope Francis said in any second-year university embryology book, it says that a month after conception, even before the mother is aware, the entire organ system is already drawn inside and the DNA is clear. In other words, it is a living being. Those were the words of Pope Francis. Those are your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Hereupon Peter took occasion to say, What of us? Who have forsaken all and followed thee? And Jesus answered, I promise you, everyone who has forsaken home or brothers or sisters or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will receive now in this world a hundred times their worth, houses, sisters, brothers, mothers, children, and lands, but with persecution. And in the world to come he will receive everlasting life. But many will be the first that were last, and last that were first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A number of things from Cornelius Lapide. Here he comments on verse 30, and he says, Who shall not receive an hundred times as much now in this time? Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the world to come, life everlasting. He said, I have explained this a hundredfold in St. Matthew's commentary, but Mark here adds, with persecutions, which is not present in the Gospel of Matthew. He says the Arabic has it in tribulations. Let him who has relinquished his possessions and friends for the love of Christ and is set in the midst of persecutions and is encompassed by them on every side, be faithful. For there will not be wanting a hundred, that is, very many who will succor and cherish him as brothers, fathers, and mothers. This is added because in persecutions, the believer especially needs the help and assistance of others. Also, because this is a rare and marvelous thing, that in persecution, when a man is wont to be left destitute of help and friends, and when all through fear or danger withdraw themselves from him, those who follow Christ experience the exact contrary and find a hundred, very many to succor them. Again, with persecutions may be the taken thus, that persecutions and tribulations undergone for Christ's sake, reward which shall be given together with the hundredfold to those who follow Christ. For to suffer for Christ is a great gift of God, as the apostle teaches. Now, this is contrary to what we would think, right? I mean, we just read the life of St. Joan of Arc, and St. Joan of Arc, who lived such a, a life dedicated to obedience to the will of God, what happened to her? She was labeled a heretic. She was excommunicated. She was rejected. They called her a witch. They burned her at the stake. 
Who did this? Who did that to her? It was people who were members of the church. It wasn't even the pagans. It was not even the enemies of the church, but it was people who were members of the church who did this to her. So we recognize, especially on this day, that sometimes we will have to be forsaken. We will have to be rejected. We have to forsake everything for the will of God. That's the only thing that would get us to heaven. For if we do not forsake home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, or lands for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, we will not receive everlasting life. Now, many people will say, you can't possibly be saying that we have to disobey the fourth commandment, which says, honor thy father and mother. So how can we forsake our father and mother at the same time that we forsake our father and mother? Well, in Cornelius Alapide's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, he says specifically that when he says here, it's forsake them for the sake of the gospel. For if someone contradicts the gospel, then we should forsake them. We should reject them. But if they are for the gospel, then we should respect them and we should lift them up and we should defend them. And this is the case whenever we see our brothers and sisters in Christ who love God. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to defend Christ's church in the public sphere. We need to stop attacking our brothers and sisters in Christ, but instead defend them. Because those who are going to be with them will receive a hundred times their worth and everlasting life. So we want to be those. We want to be those who are with Christ, not those who are against Christ. Now, lastly, something about St. Joan of Arc that I wanted to bring up is St. Joan of Arc is the model of purity. She is the model of purity. It was said that those who were just within her vicinity were overcome with a sense of purity. That those who had impure thoughts, who had very bad inclinations, when they were around St. Joan of Arc, they went away. And so St. Joan of Arc, that pure maid of France, let's pray to her in this time that we have such decadence, such wickedness, such perversity. Let's pray to St. Joan of Arc to give us purity, give us the strength to fight against vice. So today, let's think about that and let's meditate upon how we have to forsake it all, just as St. Joan of Arc did, forsake it all for the kingdom of God, for the gospel, for the church. All this And what is our reward? Well, persecution in this life, but life everlasting in the next. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hey, Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and... There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a patron saint? The classic professions such as soldiers or doctors have patron saints who represent the ideal of soldiering or doctoring. 
And yet, so many of the trades and crafts on which the modern world depends do not have an ideal figure. There is no patron saint of plumbers, for instance, and G.K. Chesterton says there should be. It would be a revolution, for it would inspire each individual plumber to consider that there was once a perfect being who actually did plumb. In the meantime, what do plumbers and the rest of us do? Chesterton says, keep before your eyes the supreme adventure of virtue. If you're kind, think of the man who was kinder than you. That's what is meant by having a patron saint. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. You know, there are pretty crazy things that go on in the world every day. And it's kind of something that we don't want to become desensitized to. It's something that we see constantly happening. And we're seeing more and more in more recent times. It's kind of as if things are starting to get to a boiling point and they're going to get worse and worse until until Christ comes, essentially. Our Lady of Fatima, our only hope. You know, this story came out, and I was very concerned. There was, a, there was about a dozen stories that came out over the weekend. I mean, it's been a while since we've been on air, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and a lot of things that we have to talk about. And this story in particular kind of breaks my heart, but I think it's important for us to know because this is going to become more and more common. The headline from LifeSite News, two pro-lifers viciously assaulted outside Baltimore Planned Parenthood. I highly recommend checking out this article, if only to see the photos, because you really need to understand how much the enemies of Christ hate us. Here is the story. In the aftermath, after the leak of the Supreme Court majority opinion draft overruling Roe v. Wade, lawless vandals backed by the abortion lobby and pro-abortion politicians have launched riots and violent attacks on pro-life entities across America from pregnancy centers to churches and even targeted justices' homes. This widespread organized effort not only sets a dangerous standard for how groups and individuals may opt to stage demonstrations going forward, but begs the question of how the pro-abortion crowd would behave if they won the Supreme Court officially overturned Roe later that summer. Now, if you go to this photo, to this article, a this photo shows the man beaten and bloody. And it is very concerning to see how this low this looks like. It says here, two pro-lifers in Baltimore, Maryland were viciously attacked outside an abortion facility on Friday, leaving one man in hospital with a fractured bone in his face, according to local activists. According to an email by local pro-lifer John Roswell on Saturday, there was a violent unprovoked attack the Planned Parenthood on North Howard Street in Baltimore that left the two pro-lifers, Dick Schaefer and Mark Crosby, seriously injured. Photographs of the aftermath of the event obtained by LifeSite shows Crosby what appears to have facial, severe facial injuries with a GoFundMe campaign and has been open to help pay for his medical expenses. Another photo was taken outside the Planned Parenthood shows what looks like drops of blood on the sidewalk. A third photograph shows a knocked-over ceramic planter, with Roswell explaining that it was here where Schaefer was slammed against the glass of the building, toppled the planter in the process. And in the email obtained by LifeSite, 
Roswell wrote that Schaefer is recovering at home, but that Mark is currently in the University of Maryland shock trauma facility being treated for his injuries. He is in good spirits, Roswell replied. Detailing the extent of the injuries, Roswell wrote that Crosby's plate bone in his upper right cheek is completely fractured and that he is bleeding from some unidentified area behind his eye and the bone eye orbit is completely shattered and will have to be replaced with metal. Outlining the attack, Roswell's email states that the assailant had initially asked one of the Planned Parenthood escorts to hold his drink before lunging at Schaefer, who believes his back was turned at the time of the assailant. Mark, who was in the street, tried to go to Dick's aid and was hit in the face, knocking him to the ground, and when the, and the man then kicked him in the head. It was then a client from nearby Pro-Life Pregnancy Center, option at 328 Baltimore, screamed, prompting a nurse from that facility to come to the aid of the men. Speaking to LifeSite over the phone, the Roswell confirmed the details of the email and asked that pro-lifers keep Crosby and all pro-lifers in their prayers. Roswell also said that in his experience pro-life as a pro-life activist, the presence of the death scorts, which are the people who bring these uh, the women in to have their children killed, has only sought to embolden pro-abortion activists to violence. Now, a number of things, they continue on with the story here, but... I think that's sufficient to explain what happened. This is very concerning. This is very, very concerning, and this is only going to happen more and more and more. You think the FBI will do anything about it? This is something that they, they hate babies. They hate pro-lifers. They hate the Catholic faith. They hate those who want to stand up for the truth, and nothing will be done. I would be shocked if this person gets thrown in prison, I hope he does. And maybe this is too far. Maybe this is something that is just beyond the pale, and they will, in fact, get thrown in prison. But we have to expect for more of this, because more of this will happen. And the longer this goes on, where we do not stand up for ourselves, that we don't change the laws, that we don't fight for our rights, these things will continue to happen. And this is why I bring up, there is so many things in these horrible cities, and I'm kind of conflicted about it. All these terrible cities where things are just absolutely awful are the places that we need to be the most, the places that need evangelization and need people to be courageous to stand up against these wickedness. But at the same time, I don't know how somebody can say, you know, I'm going to stay in the city where for being Catholic, you're going to be assaulted. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be abused. And of course, these things can happen anywhere, but they're more likely to happen in these cities like Baltimore, like Chicago, like New York, like San Francisco. These cities are not safe for Catholics, for Christians of any kind, for people who believe in the truth. So should we stay there? I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question to think about. I don't have the answer, but I certainly could think about that when I think about raising a family. I don't know if I want to be somewhere where that would happen. And I know that's kind of the case even in the major cities in, in Texas. Uh, but speaking of Texas, the Daily Wire reports that Texas lawmakers advance school safety, requiring mental health training and armed security on campuses. Now, I think this is very good. Because 
we should protect our children. And this is one of the reasons why I'm very concerned about where I'm going to live when I start a family. Right now, when I'm young, I'll go anywhere. I'll be able to stand anywhere. I can defend myself. I'll be able to protect myself. I'm willing to put my own self in danger. But when I have a family, I don't know if I want to do that. And I think this is a good step that Texas is making. Texas state lawmakers advanced a public school safety bill on Sunday requiring certain district employees to undergo mental health training and all campuses to staff at least one armed security guard during regular school hours. People who are opposed to this, I don't understand why. If we're going to have armed security at banks to protect our money, should we not protect our children who are of infinite more value than our money? Now, the article says, Texas state lawmakers advance a public safety a school safety bill on Sunday requiring a certain district employees to undergo mental health training and all campuses to staff at least one armed security guard during regular school hours. Both chambers passed House Bill 3 just more than a year after lone gunmen killed 19 children and two teachers in a Uvalde, Texas elementary school, the third deadliest mass school shooting in American history. It's time to act, Representative Ken King said, according to Texas Tribune, We need to prevent the next Uvalde. King and other Texas state Republicans praised the bill, while Democratic lawmakers signaled concerns over budget issues and providing armed security on school grounds. Now, obviously, for some reason, Democrats are worried about money here, yet they want to spend money on everything else. I say, why don't we cut out some of these ridiculous spending that we're doing and divert it to here instead? What if we took a fraction of the money we're giving to Ukraine and give it to us to protect our schools. How about we start there? The potential for disastrous consequences is staggering, Representative Vicki Goodwin said, according to the Tribune. The sweeping measure includes several protocols and other provisions to protect students, staff, and faculty from active shooter threats across a Lone Star State. According to the bill, peace officers, school resource officers, school marshals, or school district employees could qualify as armed security guards for each campus. The measure would also require school employees who interact with children regularly to complete an evidence-based mental health first aid training program. You know, this is really good as well, because this also says that people who are students, who are teachers there, there are people who are there already, school resource officers, school marshals, school district employees could qualify as the armed security guards for each campus. That's good. I remember in high school, we used to make jokes about we had a teacher there who was a U.S. military, military veteran. And he was like the toughest guy we knew. He was also a rugby coach and also a very smart man as well. He had a master's in uh, history Very and really enjoyed his class. Amazing man. And we used to joke. He's like, you know, if we had a, ever had a school shooting on campus, we, we like low-key expected uh, him to just like pull out an arsenal out of nowhere and like take out everybody. Um, we used to joke, make jokes about that. And But this man was a – he was a U.S. military veteran. He loved his students. He was a dedicated teacher, and he he really cared for his students. He was every he's beloved even to this day. People who had him as a coach, people who had him as a as a teacher, loved him. And I hundred percent would have been comfortable with him caring. And there's many such cases where you go to schools where there are teachers who were veterans who were seeing combat, who were people that we could trust. Now, every obviously not every teacher is someone that you'd want to do something like that, and many would not want to do that. And that's okay. And they, we're not saying that we should require them, but that we should allow it to happen. 
Now it goes on and says the Texas School Safety Center, a think tank at the Texas State University, would conduct a review every five years to ensure the best practices and security measures for campuses. Country sheriff departments in areas with fewer than 350,000 people must also hold semi-annual meetings to discuss school safety and law enforcement resources to violent incidents. According to the Tribune, law enforcement must also ensure all radio communications properly work following the chaotic, uncoordinated scene when nearly 400 authorities from different agencies responded to the school shooting in Uvalde. Yeah, that's a big deal. Let's have a very clear chain of command. This is a huge win for the safety of our children, Representative Carrie Issa said, according to the Tribune. House Bill 3 now has to Governor Abbott's desk for signature. Let's hope this gets passed because I think this is a great idea. I don't know what you think. I don't know. I don't really understand the concerns. People say, oh, they might traumatize kids. But you no know, one says it's traumatizing kids whenever there's armed security literally everywhere else. How about going to the ball game, baseball, football? How about going to a concert where they have metal detectors and they check you for everything before you're allowed to go to the concerts? Uh, the Houston Rodeo is packed with, with security and makes you check everything before you're allowed to go in there. There's, no one says anything about that. How about going on a plane? Have, have a kid ever flown a plane, flown in a plane before? You get passed by tons of things to go through there, and yet nobody seems to be concerned about that. So I don't really understand the concern here about people wanting to say this is a bad idea. Now, the, the budget thing, we covered that already. I think that's a very silly concern because should we not want to divert money to protect our kids? What, what better use of money do we have? I'd be curious. Uh, what better use of money do you think would, we should have versus taking care of our kids? So these are some things that we should keep in mind. I think this is great, and I think it's something that we should promote. So coming up, there are more stories and more related to Catholic news that I want to talk about. One, I want to congratulate some bishops who came out against the L.A. Dodgers. That's pretty awesome. And Regis Martin calls Pope Francis on his cell phone? I don't, how does someone get Pope Francis' cell phone number? We're going to talk about that in the next hour or in the next segment. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the, the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back 
to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is May 30th, 2023, and these are your headlines for this morning. LiveSite News is reporting flourishing Missouri Benedictines live centered on the traditional Latin Mass and Divine Office. As thousands of people, pilgrims, and merely the curious have flocked to visit the apparent incorrupt remains of its foundress, they will have found a community rich in the practice of the church's tradition. As pilgrims descend upon the Gower, Missouri convent of the Benedictines of Mary in order to view the apparently incorrupt body of its founders, Mother Wilhelmina, the sudden attention given to the order and its charisms is also highlighting the traditional Lent Mass and the ancient liturgy. Vatican News is reporting Christian pilgrims from across Uganda have started to arrive at the Namugongo Catholic Shrine ahead of the commemoration of the Ugandan martyrs on 3rd of June 2023. The martyrs resisted and rejected the advances of the Sodomite king in Uganda and died for not participating in these perverse acts. Catholic World News and the National Catholic Register are reporting an annual pilgrimage of traditional Catholics to Chartay has captured the attention of the media in France, with record-breaking number of participants joining in the three-day procession. Organizers of the event cut off registration for the weekend pilgrimage more than a week before it took place as the number of registrations exceeded the maximum of 16,000 that they could accommodate but considerably more unofficial participants joined in the 60-mile hike from Paris to Chartay. Bishop Philippe-Marie Christori of Chartay joined in the march as the pilgrimage crossed into his diocese. The Chartay pilgrimage has taken place each year since 1983, attracting Catholics who are drawn to the, to the traditional Latin liturgy. And finally, Catholic News is reporting in a Shark Tank-style competition with a twist Catholic founders recently pitched their startups and faced questions from a panel of judges while highlighting the importance of the Catholic faith in their business. The event was a culmination of the Cent Venture Summit at the Catholic University of America last month, a gathering of Catholic CEOs and founders looking to foster connections and grow in their faith. Zach Slayback, a partner with the 1517 Fund, a venture capital fund supporting startups at early stages, is on the management team at the new Catholic investor group, Catholic Angels, which hosted the event. I am Tito Edwards, and these are your headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Is that how you pronounce that city? Chart- how do you say it? I'm mispronouncing it's Chartres, but I'm sure it's pronounced Chartres. somewhere else. Chartres. 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 I always say, I always pronounce it Charts. <laughs> Charts. And so I think, I think that's probably, that's, that's what was wrong as well. So I'm like, huh, how do you pronounce this? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't want. Chartres Cathedral. <laughs> Chartres. Chartres. It's Chartres Cathedral. Chartres, the Chartres uh, what is it? The the hike, Chartres hike, or what yeah, is it? Pilgrimage. pilgrimage, pilgrimage. There you go. It doesn't Chartres. sound French though. Chartres. I guess. I don't know. Chartres. 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 All right. There you go, folks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Chartres. All right. So a couple of stories that I thought were very interesting is this story here over by CatholicVote.org put out bishops that are standing up to the Dodgers, and I think this is awesome. We need the only thing that's concerning about this is that there's not more. Every single bishop in America should be upset about this. Every single one of them. But only a few have come out against this, and I'm, and I'm happy to, that there's something that those who did, did. And so I want to actually call these bishops out to promote them, to, to compliment them on doing something good. 
because, you know, we're often upset about the bishops. And I'm upset with all the bishops that have not done something. But let's give a little shout out to these who have come out. And if you know of a bishop, if your bishop has come out against the L.A. Dodgers and have condemned this uh, drag queens, these transvestites coming to mock our religious sisters, well, let me know. I'd be very curious to know if your bishop has said anything. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think my bishop has said anything yet. Do um, we have a list of the bishops? And so I have a list that I'm going to go through right now. And so here is it, it says, uh, the Catholic vote says it's an inexhaustive list. So if there's some that are not listed here, let me know. And I'd love to add it. So let me know if your bishop has said something. So here, start with Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione of San Francisco. He says, our Catholic sisters devote themselves to serving others selflessly. Decent people would not mock and blaspheme them. So we now know what gods, the Dodgers, uh, admins, worships. Disappointing, but not surprising. A very, very good little uh, comment there. He tweeted that out. He said that, so we now know who the admins worship. He says, open desecration and anti-Catholicism is not disqualifying. Disappointing, but not surprising. Gird your loins. You know, every if every single baseball player for the L.A. Dodgers that were Catholic quit, they would cave in a second. Oh, because big time. almost everybody is Catholic. Almost all, if, if almost all of the MLB is Catholic because they're all South Americans. Like the Houston, Houston Astros, I can't, I don't know about other teams. The Houston Astros has five Americans on the team. Everyone else is from South America pretty much. There's, <laughs> it's almost all Catholics. South America's yet, team. How do we allow this to happen? How do we allow this to happen? Uh, and, it's, and how many Catholics are working for the L.A. Dodgers? If I was working in the L.A. Dodgers, I would see this uh, just from a pure secular standpoint, money signs. I would be like, all right, who do I need to contact to sue the L.A. Dodgers for religious discrimination? Because you're at a, at a workplace and your workplace is discriminating against your religion. So I, if I was with the L.A. Dodgers, I would sue the L.A. Dodgers. Now, here they have the Archdiocese of L.A. came out. The L.A. The, uh, LA Diocese said the ecclesiastical jurisdiction where the Dodgers are located released a statement on Tuesday. The decision to honor a group that clearly mocks the church's, the Catholic faith, and makes light of the sincere and holy vocations of our women religious who are an integral part of our church is what has caused disappointment, concern, anger, and dismay for our Catholic community. The minister, ministries and vocations of our religious women should be honored and celebrated through genuine acts of appreciation, reverence, and respect for our sacred vows, and for all the good works of our nuns and sisters in service of the mission of the Catholic Church. Catholics and people of goodwill to stand, they said the Archdiocese encourages Catholics and people of goodwill to stand against bigotry and hate in any form and to stand for respect for one another and for the religious beliefs of our communities of faith. Now, the only thing that I would add is if I was the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, I would also say, and no Catholic should attend these games until there is a complete repudiation of this ideology. That's what I would say if I was the L.A. bishop or the L.A. spokesperson. Now here, the Archdiocese of Orange said the day before the neighboring Archdiocese of Orange released a similar rebuke stating, we cannot condone any actions that have historically shown such high level of disregard for the sincerely held beliefs of the faithful. Okay, very weak uh, comment, but okay. As Catholic Vote reported Tuesday, that statement came in response to the decision of Mayor Anaheim, California, to invite the, quote, 
transvestites and perpetual indulgence. I'm not going to call them sisters. Uh, the transvestites and perpetual indulgence to be her personal guest at an upcoming L.A. Angels game. Mayor Ashley Atkin, a self-professed Catholic, of course, of course, of course, made the move in an apparent rebuke of those who spoke out against anti-Catholic groups. Now, the year, the it's just there's so many things here that are just horrific. Now, another good thing, Bishop Robert Barron, who I know uh, there's a couple things that I have that are concerning about Bishop Barron, but I'm very glad that Bishop Barron came out against this. He came out on a video that was and awesome. Put out, yeah, very, very good. I'm glad that he did it. Let me see. Maybe we can hear it here. I'm sure by now you've all heard about this controversy involving the L.A. Dodgers and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. It says here, if instead of Catholicism, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which this is very good because, you know, I, you know why this is good? It's because uh, I said the same thing. <laughs> so he says, if instead of Catholicism, the Sisters or Transvestites of Perpetual Indulgence had attacked Jewish or Muslim scripture and rituals, what would the reaction be? You know those questions answer themselves, he concluded, implying that there is a double standard. But somehow, attacking Catholics in this most disgraceful way is okay. Not only okay, it should be honored. There is a long tradition in this country of anti-Catholicism, Barron said. It was said famously about a century ago that the last acceptable prejudice in America is anti-Catholicism, and we shouldn't tolerate it. Very good, yes. Bishop Barron. Very good. There are many things that I'm like, man, Bishop Barron, why'd you say that? Or, man, Bishop Barron, not good. But here, he hit a home run. Very good. Excellent. Thank you very much Big to Bishop time. Barron. Now, my favorite American bishop, Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, he came out and he had a very, very good uh, things to say. He went out and promoted um, the what Archbishop Salvatore Cordelion said. He said, Archbishop, thank you for speaking out on this. He also came out and said, please speak out against this evil promoting at Dodger Stadium, calling for that. He also retweeted um, Bishop Robert Barron saying amen, encouraging and endorsing those statements as well. So a very, very good thing. I'm glad Bishop Strickland has been promoting these protests. He shared the Catholic Vote article and the Catholic Vote uh, protest, sharing the phone number of the L.A. Dodgers and their emails to contact them, to tell them that they need to stop with this anti-Catholicism. Now, Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, he came out against this as well. He said, let's call this for what it is, anti-Catholic bigotry and blasphemy against God. Thank you, Bishop Donald. Thank you. It is blasphemy against God and anti-Catholic bigotry. That's what it is. Courage. It is anti-Catholic bigotry, and it is blasphemy against God. And that's the thing that is most concerning, that it is blasphemy against God. So... These are some of the bishops. These are all the bishops that we have listed. So if your bishop said something, let me know. I'd love to give him a shout out as well. If your bishop has not said anything, well, maybe reach out to the bishop and say, Hey, Your Excellency, I would love to hear you encourage the faithful in regards to this matter. We'll come back. There is more concerning stories after this. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale, Moses heard God's voice in a bush, Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven, or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the results. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? To know, love, and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right, so we can be happy with Him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. On this second day of the octave of Pentecost, praise be to God, the octave of Pentecost. I hope you are celebrating because Pentecost is the second largest feast of the year. It's kind of been downplayed in recent years. In the last 50 years, they kind of changed it. So now it's a ordinary time. Uh, but traditionally, it was the octave of Pentecost. Today was also used to be a day of obligation to attend Pentecost Tuesday. Really, it was a it was a holy day of obligation today. I read that last night on, oh. on a Catholic, yeah, on a blog, on a traditionalist blog. I didn't know that. I knew it was it was a holy day of obligation for Pentecost Monday, but I didn't know about the Tuesday. So it was very for, interesting. Yeah, first they dropped the name Pentecost Tuesday, and then they removed the obligation. Oh wow! Well, there you go. So make sure you celebrate. And if we're not going to have a holy day of obligation, you know what that means. That means it's a holy day of opportunity. Now, it's very interesting because there is a story that was told by uh, Father Z. Father Z tells a story, and he says that he heard it directly from the uh, a master of ceremonies who, heard, who was there and saw it firsthand from Paul VI himself. So yesterday was the Monday when the octave of the Pentecost and I'm just going to tell the story real quick. I was actually not planning on talking about this, but now I'm off on a tangent. The, the, story, the story goes that Paul VI, after the institution of the, uh, the new mass and the new calendar, had just been put into place. And it was the Monday after Pentecost, and he goes out to get vested for, to say mass that morning. And the master of ceremonies had set out green vestments. And he goes out and he sees the vestments. And he took turns to the master of ceremonies and says, why is there not red? Because it's the octave of Pentecost. You would you normally say use red, but they had just changed everything to ordinary time. And so now it's all green. And the master of ceremony says, it is, uh, there is no more octave of Pentecost. It is ordinary time. And he says, who did this? And the master of ceremonies says, you did your holiness. And allegedly, according to Father Z's, first-hand source, 
he says that Paul VI began to weep. That's a very interesting story, and I don't know if it's true. Uh, it's we don't have obviously we don't have photo or video evidence of it, uh, but if uh, Father Z is a trustworthy source, and I think he is, and it's, Father Z is not, is. not anonymous. He's uh, his no. name is like Zulsdorf, but so everybody just calls him Father Z for short because that's a very difficult name to say. But anyway, just kind of a side note, but I just thought that was an interesting story that I uh, was reading yesterday from Father Z. But this is what I wanted to talk about. Crisis Magazine put an article by Regis Martin, and we should 100% reach out to Father, to not Father, to Regis Martin to talk about this. Uh, so mark that down, Tito. Uh, contact Regis Martin and invite him to talk about this. Ten four. This is a crazy story that I just like. He 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 called Pope Francis on the cell phone. How how did he get Pope Francis' cell phone number? First of all. And second of all, why did Pope Francis answer? Like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy to me. So Nuts. here is the headline of the article. Put an end to this madness. Pope Francis has to stop the madness. And until he steps in to do so, the church will continue to fracture and unravel, spiraling completely out of control. Unlike everyone else who witnessed the Holy Father taking a phone call in the middle of a general audience in St. Peter's Square the other day, I was not the least bit surprised. And why should I be? Since I was the one who made the call. I was like, I was reading this article and I was like, oh, where is he going with this? And I was like, wait a second. He's the one that called him? Because people were scandalized. They were like, why did Pope Francis answer his phone in the middle of, of the Wednesday, Wednesday audience? Or one of his audiences, general audiences. That's very peculiar. Yeah. And turns out it was Regis Martin. So he goes on. He says, no sooner had I dialed the number than I was put immediately through to the Pope who seemed quite delighted to hear from me for about five seconds, that is, and no doubt thinking I was the Reverend James Martin, whom I had instructed the switchboard operator at the Vatican to inform the Pope was on the other line. Oh, my. Oh, man. See, this is interesting. I, I'm very curious. I, we, we have to get Regis Martin on to talk about this because this is very curious. Regis Martin isn't really known to be like this radical he is considered very radical in the sense that he's very, uh, he sticks very true to doctrine. Glad trad. But he's really, I really would not consider him a traditionalist. He's not really a traditionalist. He's not like a Latin mass only guy. He's not, he's never been in those camps. And so it's very surprising to me. And so this is interesting. He contacts the Vatican switchboard operator and tells him, Allegedly, according to this, according to, to Regis Martin himself, I suppose, but if I'm understanding what he's writing here, he tells a switchboard operator that it was the Reverend James Martin. Now, if you don't know who James Martin is, he's one of the most well-renowned or most notorious, probably the, better word, yes, yes. most notorious uh, pro-sodomy, LGBT ideology, right, sodomy, um, priest in America who's had several audiences with Pope Francis in the past. And people are always defending the case and saying, oh, well, Pope Francis just doesn't know who James Martin really is. And apparently he does, because apparently Regis Martin tells the switchboard operator that he is James Martin and immediately puts him through. And, and Pope Francis excitedly answers the phone call, <laughs> which I think is wait, very concerning. Yeah. Also, I'm very much against lying. I, I think lying is it's such an evil thing. It's such an evil thing. I, I hate lying. A lying is something that just bothers me more than just about anything else. I, I do not like liars. And I myself I try to not lie as much as I possibly can. 
sometimes I fell. I'm a sinner, just like anybody else. But I, I just cannot. If that's what he, if that's if I understand that correctly, he lied to the switchboard operator to get through to Pope Francis. That's not okay. Uh, not in not in my not in my estimation. And he goes on and says, and until things fell apart, which happened fairly quickly, I was hoping for a productive exchange. Once he realized he'd been snookered, however, he abruptly hung up, leaving me to imagine the number of heads likely to roll on the floor of the Vatican switchboard. But not before I had succeeded in leaving my own message, which was to tell him to stop all the madness at once. Otherwise, I managed to blurt out just before the papal smartphone slammed shut. It would not be possible to acquit his holiness from complicity and the disasters taking place in the life of the church. He will own them, whether wittingly or not scarcely matters anymore. The point is, it has got to stop. Until he steps in to do so, the church will continue to fracture and unravel, spiraling completely out of control. Now, notice Regis Martin here says, whether wittingly or not, it doesn't really matter. And so Regis Martin, he's really, he's never been an anti, he's never been an anti-Francis person. He's always given Pope Francis the benefit of the doubt, and he still does so here. He says, whether wittingly or not, it doesn't matter. He's saying because, you know, some people say he does it in purpose. Some saying he doesn't do it on purpose. And Rita Smart is like, it doesn't really matter. I just want him to step in and fix things. I don't care if he's at fault or not at fault. I just want him to step in and fix things. He goes on and says, will he do so? Will he finally decide to put an end to this madness? Now, what madness? In setting out the pathology report, where does one begin? Why not begin with the deposit of faith? The depletion of which appears to have been a, pro- a programmatic theme of this pontificate from the beginning. Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, a fearless fellow, is not the first to take notice, but he needs brother bishops to step up and do likewise. He says, take, for instance, the agreement struck back in February of 2019 when the Pope and Shaikh Hamid and El Tayyib met in Abu Dhabi. What did that portend? There was certainly no ambiguity on the part of Francis when pronouncing on the pluralism and diversity of religions. He went on to insist that it was all, quote, willed by God and his wisdom through which he created human beings, end quote. Say what? When exactly did God change his mind and decide to include all religions in the plan of salvation? Is Islam now to be considered a necessary player in divine revelation, an instrument of divine grace? What is that to do with the importance heretofore assigned to Christ, without whom no one can be saved. It would seem, in light of the language agreed upon by both the grand imam and God's vicar, that the place occupied by Christ for the last 2,000 years has just been downsized. The absolute singularity of the Christ event will no longer apply. Now here I agree 100% with Regis Martin. Uh, for if every religion can be saved, then nothing matters. If, if all this is just, just hokey, and God willed all religions, and all religions are salvific, then the Catholic faith is a false faith. It has to be the case. And so this has to be rejected. He goes on and says, How does one reconcile that alongside all the gospel accounts in which Christ is presented, not as an optional extra, but as the real deal, the pivotal figure in the entire history of the world? In other words, once the incarnation happened, everything and everyone changed nothing would ever be the same again. Otherwise, it cannot have been God who came down among us more than two millennia ago. And if Christ is no longer the authoritative sinner of the cosmos, why be Christian at all? He goes on and says, which brings us to synodality. 
That vaunted process which overcomes, threatens to strip the faith of all that renders it distinctive. And Pope Francis has done absolutely nothing to stop it. He simply will not unplug the engine of destruction, now running at high speed across Germany and elsewhere. Why is that? Does he want to see the church imploding everywhere? So the centerpiece of Christian faith, having just been re-relativized, re what next? Shall we take a look at the moral order, which seems to have been equally gutted? In fact, it has been so cheapened and debased that it hardly matters where the church draws a line. I mean, are there any lines left to draw? One immediately thinks of the Disney documentary re recently released featuring 10 young people firing off questions at the chief church's chief shepherd, as if he and the church he leads were the object of careful targeted airstrikes. About what? Sex, of course, concerning which the Pope pretty much gave the store away, assuring his young friends that, well, actually the church's catechesis on sex is still in diapers. Can he be serious? After 2,000 years of reflection on the human condition, the level of understanding is no more than infantile? Was St. Thomas Aquinas in diapers when he distilled his moral theology? Or St. John Paul II, for heaven's sake, whose insights into the mystery of human love, like a stick of dynamite waiting to go off, became so iconic intimations of the inner life of the triune God? They were not men wearing diapers. Perhaps, then, the Pope is serious. How else does one explain the dismantling of John Paul Institute in Rome? of the radical redire redirection of the Pontifical Academy for Life. Now, he goes on and talks about this some more, and I just want to conclude here. He says at the end of the article, If Pope Francis does regard the Bride of Christ as fraudulent, then it's time he stepped up and said so. Oh, yes, and stop taking calls from Father James Martin, who has nothing to say anyway. I think that's good that, that he said that, that, Pope, that Father James Martin has nothing good to say anyway, which is true. It's not a good thing. Not a great person to take phone calls from. Now, this whole story is very, very interesting to me, and I want to explore this some more. So we're definitely going to have, at least reach out to Regis Martin to see if he'll talk about this, because very interesting situation. I have mixed feelings about it. I have very mixed feelings about it. But when we come back, let's talk about some good news. We'll talk about some Pentecost traditions, as well as how to honor the Lord's Day when we come back. We'll be right back with much more on Catholic Drive Time right after this. There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Could there be just one word that truly sets the Catholic Church apart from all other churches? Yes, there is. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. That word is retain. How can one word bring such distinction? Well, understanding that retain means to hold back or to keep. Jesus tells the apostles, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Secondly, so what does that world say about sin? The therapist says, forgive yourself. New Agers say it's just a state of mind. And the 
Evangelical says, just tell Jesus no matter how grave the sin, he'll forgive you directly. And finally, the word retain. We all know that non-Catholics don't go to a pastor to confess grave sins. Why? Because in Protestant thinking, you get to leapfrog humans and go directly to Jesus. And guys, let's don't hide under the newest term, be accountable. Hey, we all will be accountable up to the point that it hurts, is embarrassing, or is criminal. My priest can say, Steve, your sin's not forgiven. Does your pastor? I think not. Why? Have you ever heard backlash, decreasing church attendance, and loss of revenue? Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. I believe that the Ministry of Catholic Radio is one of the greatest tools we have in the church for evangelism today. I hear from people all over the world on a daily basis who have encountered Christ in the Catholic Church for the first time by listening to Catholic Radio. Please support the Ministry of Catholic Radio today. Support Guadalupe Radio Network. Shining the light of truth on the path of salvation. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hey there. If you're not a Catholic, thank you so much for listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. I'm station manager Tim Mott, and it really means a lot to me that you chose to spend this time with the Guadalupe Radio Network. Shift a little bit and be a little more positive. And you want to tune in today because at 15 past the hour, we're going to have the Fear and Trembling Game Show, which, because this week is a very peculiar week, yesterday for Memorial Day, we had the day off. And so it was a pre-recorded show yesterday. Tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday is also going to be pre-recorded because we have our GRN retreat. And so we are going to be in Midland, Texas for tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. That means no after show this week. And it's only going to be a pre-recorded show, which means no fear and trembling game show. That means at 15 past the hour, whoever the first person to call in is, and let me give you a hint. If you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, you can actually go and find our email there. And our phone number there, rather, is what I was meant to say. You can find our phone number there, and you can call in early and wait on hold because the first caller will be the winner. Even if you get only one question right, you have to get at least one right. But if you get at least one question right, you are, in fact, the winner. So make sure you go to our website. You can call in now, but the first caller will win this week's prize. So make sure that you are the first caller. Now, I want to talk about some positive news. So let's talk about Pentecost for a second. I was reading this article from 1 Peter 5, some domestic church customs for Pentecost. I recommend reading the whole article, but I'm going to skip ahead to the fun parts, meaning the food. Mm, Everybody loves food. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about some other symbols in regards to Pentecost. And then I want to talk about keeping holy the Sabbath, keeping holy Sunday. So here, 1 Peter 5, the article here says, For festival fair, our parish has a pot providence where the faithful bring all kinds of dishes from around the world. This is a fun nod to the discipline's spiritual gift of preaching in many new languages on the day of Pentecost. That's kind of a cool idea. So you give people bring. So, you know, this is really cool, especially for the 21st century. We have such a diverse areas. At least at least we do. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe your parish is uh, not like that. But uh, where I go to church, uh, we have people in Houston just generally, uh, people Filipino, Mexican, people German, Irish, Spanish, people from all different cultures 
And that'd be a very cool thing to do because, you know, Pentecost, the gift of tongues, the spreading of the gospel to four corners. So having a potluck where everybody brings in food from all around the world, that's a really cool idea. And I think that's a fun little thing that we should do. So here it goes on. For supper, we go with the more historical custom of stuffed fowl. I have Pentecost dove on my wish list for some day. However, they're out of our price range until we can shoot them ourselves or they are given as a providential gift. That being the case, while roasted chicken is our go-to, another option, if price is not a deterrent, are those swanky little Cornish game hens. My older boys would eat about three apiece of them. Or to go to a completely different direction, some other possibilities are chicken wings, fire-roasted hot dogs, barbecue, and s'mores or spicy foods for the tongues of fire connection, and a menu of all red or all white foods. In our home, a first-class feast, a solemnity, means dessert. Now that's a cool thing. Maybe like not give your kids dessert or or yourself dessert for the whole year, but on all the feast days, all the solemnities, all the first class feast, give yourself a good big old dessert. Now that yeah. would be such great. Imagine how much fun feast days would be. It'd be tastier. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And goes he goes on, she goes on rather. A few Pentecost favorites from over the years have been torch top mangarin pies or creme brulee. Strawberry shortcakes with the berries cut vertically like flames. And strawberry decorated cheesecake. Pentecost Sunday with strawberry ice cream or cherries jubilee. And flaming desserts like banana foster and crepe Suzette. Finally, we have 12 fruits of the spirit salad on hand specifically for the Whit Sunday Ember Days. And fit in some holy or or, or I think it's holly, H-O-L-E-Y, or a jelly-filled donuts usually Thursday of the octave. That's very, very cool. Now here, she mentions the Pentecost octave. So there are a few movable holy days that always fall during the Pentecost octave, including the newly added Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, on Pentecost Monday, and the Whit Sunday, Ember Days on the, on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of Pentecost. Interestingly, the Monday and Tuesday of Pentecost are former holy... Oh, there you go. Our former holy days of obligation, Monday and Tuesday of Pentecost. Okay, there you go. So holy day of opportunity. We have several Southern New Year days, according to tradition. So instead of we keep Pentecost Monday for the Mother's Day of Our Lady, its sister traditional feast is Mary, Queen of Apostles, celebrated this Saturday after Ascension Thursday. And for this Mother's Day, we make a little local pilgrimage to bring Mum Mary some fresh pickled wildflowers and fresh picked. I was about to say pickled makes no sense. Fresh picked wildflowers and make one of my mother's or grandmother's recipes for supper, some iteration of Southern comfort food. Now, Pentecost Embertide says here, Conversely, the Pentecost Embertide consists of days for fasting and abstinence in thanksgiving for the wheat used to make the Eucharistic host and for vocations to the priesthood. In addition to the recommended penance, one of these three days we revisit Pope Leo the Great's sermon on the Whit Sunday uh, Suntide Fast, landing within the octave of Pentecost. This set of Ember days has a distinctive nature from the rest. The fasting and partial abstinence of Wednesday, Saturday, and the fasting and full abstinence of Friday are the same as other Embertides. However, it is the only group where the red vestments are worn instead of the customary penitential violet. And the fast itself is called the Fast of Exaltation. The monk, Abbot Rupert Deutz, explains it eloquently. He says, It is not a fast to make us sad or to darken our hearts, but rather to brighten the solemnity of the Holy Spirit's arrival. For the sweetness of the Spirit of God makes the faithful loathe the pleasures of earthly food. Now, that's very interesting. I think I will keep these Ember Days this year, which I sometimes forget because they kind of sneak up on me because I don't really 
keep track of the calendar as as much as I should. And most other people don't keep the Ember Days, so it makes it more difficult. But I'm going to try to keep them this year. So those are the kind of things that I wanted to bring up. And there are many other things in this article and many other ideas to uh, to keep in mind that the the author here, Jean Shaw, that she writes here. And I recommend checking it out at 1 Peter 5, the title of the article, Domestic Church Customs, Pentecost Octave. Uh, read that article. It's a lot of really great ideas. I highly recommend. And I think it would be a lot of fun to implement this with your family. Now, here is something else that I wanted to bring up. Honoring the Lord's Day. Now, Father Bryce Lundgren, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Maybe it's pronounced differently. Uh, wrote this article about celebrating the Lord's Day. So every Sunday of the year. He says, and this is with Crisis Magazine. Christians have always seen Sunday not simply as a day to remember our Lord's victory over death in his resurrection. Or just a day not to work but as the eternal day. I was struck by the optional mass reading this past May 1st, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. I thought for sure they would include Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it, but they didn't. They did, however, proclaim Genesis 2.3, so God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from his all his work, which he had done in creation. This apparent discrepancy became good material for preaching on the church's first precept. You shall attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation and rest from servile work. If you want to stir the pot among some blue-collared Catholics, preach about resting on Sundays. I didn't get stoned, but I did get a lot of questions on what keeping Holy Sabbath looks like in the 21st century. Pope Pius XII inaugurated St. Joseph's Feast in 1955 to counteract the degradation of work by communist governments, which enforced working on Sundays. Now, remember, working on Sundays is a communist idea. It's anti-Catholic to have this. Actually, it predates communism, actually. It actually, the French revolutionaries tried to get rid of Sunday as well. But here, communist leaders knew that if they could get people to forsake their weekly religious observance... Abandoning God was just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Pope Pius understood the danger of working on Sunday, and so did God. God gave Moses the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath. Now the Lord expounds upon this when he says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, and plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. For God's chosen people, the Sabbath rest was to be strictly observed. Even Jesus, who came preaching the spirit of the law and not its letter, didn't do away with the Sabbath principles. He said, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Early Christians understood that Jesus' resurrection fulfilled the law of the Sabbath as they transferred the essence of the Sabbath rest from Saturday to Sunday, renaming it the Lord's Day. In the 20th centuries that followed, Christians have seen Sunday not simply as a day to remember our Lord's victory over death and his resurrection, or just a day not to work, but as an eternal day. This eighth day is meant to be a day of rest in the reality that because of our membership in the body of Christ, the church, we already participate in the eternal life of heaven. Therefore, our activities on Sunday should signify that. This is the foundation for the church's precept regarding Sundays. Our attendance at Mass is essential to this truth. Here, receive eternal life in the Eucharist. But this is not a mere symbol, but a present reality. The Mass has always been seen as a participation in heaven while still on earth. Thus, the church is following God's commandment, sees attending Sunday Mass as essential 
to staying in a state of grace. She also sees, quote, resting from servile labor, unquote, as a necessary ingredient to the experiencing heavenly realities even now. Therefore, she commands, not recommends, commands us to rest on Sundays. It is here that people of God in America start picking up stones. We don't like to rest. And if we do, it's under my terms. Besides, what are we supposed to do if we're not productive on Sundays? Just twiddle our thumbs? I think people's biggest hesitation towards actually following God's third commandment to the full is the fear of being bored. Nobody likes boredom, but is that fear or is it a reality? Is productivity the only way to avoid the stagnation of heaven of having nothing to do? I think not. And I bet most people would agree if they stopped and thought about it. The vortex of busyness occurs when we never step out of the storm of life. If productivity is our only worldview, intentionality, taking a day to stop and rest from work is unimaginable. But stepping out of the world and resting in God is how we regain our bearings in life. When you're lost in the woods, the right thing to do is to stop and sit on a tree stump. In the action of resting, your sense of direction will come back. That makes sense, but what does modern Sabbath rest actually look like? The answer to this conundrum is found in the second half of the church's precept. To sanctify the day and rest from those work which would impede such sanctification. To sanctify something is to set it apart for holy use. To sanctify Sunday is to set it aside to humanly experience heaven on earth. And its essence, to rest on Sunday, is to rest in God. Now, this article goes much further and talks about much, many more things in regards to this. He gives recommendations, and he talks about honoring the Sabbath. Now, we have to remember, Our Lady of La Salette, when she appeared, she was weeping. And she was asked why she was weeping. The reason why she was weeping was twofold. And she said that God would punish the world because of these two reasons. What were those reasons? Why did Our Lady shed tears? You might think it was because of the murder of people. You might think it was because of uh, genocide. Maybe it was because of starving people, of the abuse of children, maybe. But actually, the reason why she cried was twofold. One, blasphemy against God. And two, working on Sunday. Those were the two reasons why Our Lady cried. Those were the two reasons Our Lady said that God would punish the world. Working on Sunday and blasphemy against God. So again, I beg you, stop using our Lord's name in vain. And stop working on Sunday. Maybe every time that you hear someone even frivolously use our Lord's name in vain by saying things like, quote, oh my God. Maybe say instead, praise be his holy name. Amen. I dare you. I double dog dare you today. Anytime you hear our Lord's name being abused, even if it's casual and not malicious, say praise be his holy name. Praise be his holy name. And maybe we can start changing our culture. Now, we're going to head over to a break. And when we come back, we're going to have our fear and trembling game show. So that number to call 877-757-9424-877-757-9424 is the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling. That phone call, 
877-957-9424. So make sure you call now. And the phone call, 877-757-9424. We take the first caller. And today, we're going to take whoever calls in first. The first caller will be our contestant. So you're going to want to be able to call in and be our first caller. 877-757-9424. Call now. We'll be right back with more after this. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Because Jesus said in Matthew 23 that no one should be called rabbi, father, or teacher, I'm sure you would never call one of your teachers teacher, would you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a Catholic no-no, calling a priest father. Well, what about Paul calling Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus his sons? No doubt his spiritual sons, but is it not proper for a spiritual son to call his spiritual father father? This reverential title should never have generated such a big point of contention. Secondly, the New Testament. In Acts 7 and Romans 9, we see the term father being used referring to Abraham and some of our great patriarchs. And my take, isn't context everything? When Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, it's oftentimes in the language and style of hyperbole. His discourse was not focused on titles or ecclesiastical guidelines. Jesus was once again warning against giving honor where honor is not due. Next time you see your pastor, just say, hey, preacher, uh, it just seems so lacking. All my life, I was searching for something that seemed to be just one step away. Perfect soulmate, the ideal job, that big adventure. And just when I thought I found what I was missing, I realized that I was never really fulfilled. Then I discovered what I was searching for was really faith in God and belonging to a church. You can find what you've been searching for too. Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call. Now, I'm looking over at the phone lines, and they lit up. They lit up today. So if you did not get on to the show today, well, make sure you call next week. Write down that number, 877-757-9424. And also, just so you know, I'm thinking we may take phone calls during the after show. Maybe today we'll start doing that. We'll see. We'll see. So if you did not get on, maybe maybe call in in the after show, and we'll chat with you then. But that number, 877-757-9424, you can write that number down, and you can be our contestant next week because we did have the phone lines light up, and I am very grateful to everyone who called in, uh, but we always take the first caller. Now, you may be asking, what am I listening to? What am I calling into? What's, uh, what's the game? So we're playing the Fear and Trembling game show. And here I have three Catholic trivia questions. The trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead I'm going to ask Tito the questions. He's going to give me an answer. And it's going to be your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize, which normally... 
he would do that. But today, I mean, if you get just one question right, then you win. And if you get all three right, then you win anyway. So it doesn't really matter. You just got to get one right. But we're going to do all three anyway. Yeah. So the prize this week, though, is, in fact, a CDT prize pack. So the prize pack is going to be a coffee cup of divine providence, a copy, a exact replica of the coffee cup of divine providence that's going to be signed by the CDT team. Plus, you're going to receive two books that are generously donated by our friend Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen Today. So Alan Smith is going to be our sponsor for today with Bishop Sheen Today. Thank you very much, Alan Smith. Alan sent me a stack of books. He was like, here, whenever you need a random prize, uh, send them his books uh, free of charge. So thank you very much, Alan. He just like sent us a bunch of books, and I'm very grateful. Alan's, Alan's the best. And so we're going to be able to send you those two books. One is on the Holy Eucharist, on adoration, and the other is on the Seven Last Words. Plus, you have that coffee cup of divine providence and some other nice little GRN goodies. So uh, that's going to be the prize for today. But joining us via phone is Jason. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning. Jason, where are you calling from? San Antonio. San Antonio, Texas. Praise be to God, the great city of St. Anthony. What a wonderful place to be. You know, I was just there a couple, uh, actually yesterday I was there. I was there. I should have stopped by. I should have. I was uh, visiting for Memorial Day, and I went to go see the missions. I went through the missions and San Juan Capistrano, a great little mission there. And I love the name, San Juan Capistrano. What a great saint. I didn't really know much about him until I was reading the, the facts about him. I was kind of impressed. But have you have you done the missions tour, the missions pilgrimage? A, a while back, before COVID. There you go. There you go. Well, where are you off to this morning? Uh, working from home. Praise be to God. I need a. I need. I'm, my goal is to uh, convince the the GRN to just let me build a radio studio in my room, so I just wake <laughs> up and just <laughs> go over, and that would be that would be the blast. Uh, but praise be to God, that's pretty awesome. Uh, all right, are you for last question before we jump into the game? Are you doing anything special for Pentecost, the octave of Pentecost? We we went to mass. There you go. There you go. Uh, I may I recommend some uh, some chocolate, maybe some cake for the to celebrate the feast. Um, maybe maybe that uh, that might be a good good little practice. If you have a if you have kids, I don't know if you're married or have kids, but uh, get a big old bowl of ice cream and some chocolate cake and be like, hey, this is for Pentecost, and a good excuse to eat to eat some sweets. That's what I say. All right, Sounds Jason. Like- are you familiar with the game? Do you know how to play? I think I just yes or no. That's it. It's very easy. You got it. It's a 50-50 chance. Even if you don't know the answers at all, if you just guess, then you're going to have a 50-50 chance of getting the question right. And if you just get one question right today, you win. You, you win. win. So that's all. That the, the stakes are low. So let's jump in. <laughs> let's jump in. All righty, Tito. Question number one. Oof. Now... I am looking at this question, and I'm going to say this might be one of the hardest questions I've ever had. Though I'm looking at all these questions, and I'm like, man, actually, these might all be the hardest questions we've ever had. So here we go. Question number one. Does the Vatican recognize the state of Israel? Oh, uh, let's see here. The state of Israel. 
came late into the game, but yes, they do recognize the state of Israel. The Holy See does recognize oh. yep, the state. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Even though Israel belongs to the Catholics. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Okay. All right, Jason. 15 seconds on the clock. Tito says, yes, the, the Vatican does, in fact, recognize the state of Israel. Uh, what say you, Jason? Is he right or is he wrong? Does the Vatican recognize the state of Israel? Is it yes or is it no? He's right. He's right, he says. That is correct. You said that with a lot of confidence. Well, Jason, uh, you have won. We're, we're done with the game, turning it off. Game hanging over. Hanging up on you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got question one right. Now we're just going to play the game. We're going to get for question number two and question number three just for fun. And because you've already won now, and we're going to be able to send you the prize because you, in fact, did win our CDT prize pack by getting just one question right. But are you ready for the question number two? I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number two, Tito. Yeah. The acceptance of a bribe by a public official is a chief violation against which commandment? The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Huh. That seems to make sense. Yeah, makes that would seem to make sense. A lot of sense. All right. Well... Jason, 15 seconds on the clock. Like I said, this is all a tricky question. Tuesday, what say you? The question on the board. The acceptance of a bribe by, bribe by a public official is a chief violation against which commandment? Tito says it's the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. What say you, Jason? Is he right or is he wrong? Wrong. He's wrong, he says. That is correct. Wow. Way to go. I, I'm very surprised. I, I would not have got that right. How did you know that? Did, did you did you know that or are you guessing? Uh, I have a son who goes to Catholic school and he said no, but it doesn't sound right to me either. Wow. Whoa. You, Catholic schools I'm in, in San Antonio. Way to go. <laughs> Catholic schools in San Antonio. That's unusual. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Praise be to God. That's really good. So the correct answer is the seventh and also the fourth obligations of persons and authority. So the fourth makes sense to me because that's honor thy father and mother. And that would seem to say that you would honor the uh, the people in, in the official positions. So that would make sense to me. But the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery, which I'm like, huh, how does that work? And so I'm guessing it has something to do with like you are selling yourself and by, by accepting bribes. That's my guess. Isn't the seventh? But there you go. Thou shalt not steal. I'm mm, pretty sure it's I thought it was thou shalt not commit adultery. Maybe it is thou shalt not steal. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. But there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, you know what? You're right. Because six and ninth are this uh, as adultery and fornication. There you go. You are right. I'm getting so confused with the Protestant Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I was getting confused. You were right. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. The seventh is thou shalt not steal. That makes sense. I was thinking <laughs> everything makes sense now. The okay. world is right. Okay. The acceptance of a bribe by a public official is a chief violation against the seventh commandment, which is thou shalt not steal. And fourth, the honor of thy father and mother. Everything's clear now. Authority. It makes yeah. sense to me. All right, Jason, your son is smarter than I am. Uh, so we're going to go forward with question number three before I uh, put my foot in my, further into my mouth. Uh, Jason, are you ready? And more to the point, is your son ready? We are. All right, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Question number three. True or false, Tito? Uh-huh. A marriage between two baptized non-Catholics... If contracted badly, 
is always sacrament, is always a sacrament. This is so tricky because there's so many ifs. To baptize non-Catholics who they're Christians contracted validly is always a sacrament because some faiths don't recognize the Trinity like the Unitarians and the Mormons or as they, they're called now. Need the tri- answer. Yeah, true. You're going to go with true. I'm going with true. All right, Jason. 15 seconds on the clock. What say you, Jason? Is a marriage between two baptized non-Catholics, if contracted validly, always a sacrament? What say you, Jason? He's wrong. He's Not. wrong. One person has to be like. He says that one person has to be Catholic. He says you're wrong. Oh, so close to a three for. Wow. But no, the answer is true. So if a marriage between two baptized non-Catholics, if it's contracted validly, it is in fact a sacrament. And uh, the trick is they have to be Christians. Yeah. So that's why if contracted validly. So it's sacramental because if you're not a Catholic, you're not bound by canonical form, which means like you don't have to get the canonical form is getting married in the church with the minister. Um, That's part of canonical form. But if you are a Christian who is a former Catholic, now it becomes invalid because Catholics are bound by canonical form. So if one of the people is a Catholic and gets married outside the church, it then becomes invalid. Interesting. So that's uh, the little tricky. Like I said, all tricky question Tuesday, but yet y'all got two for three. So I'm pretty impressed. Uh, But either way, y'all won. So congratulations, Jason. We don't even have to pull a name. Y'all got the prize. So congratulations. Thank you. So make sure you stay on the line. Don't hang up. I'm going to put you on hold, and Tito's going to get your contact information so we can mail you the prize uh, sometime, either today or probably Monday, if we don't get it out to you today. We'll send that out. But God bless you. God love you. And tell your son that he is clearly a budding theologian. (laughs) I will do. All right. God bless you. We're going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. We're going into the after show, the only after show of the week. So make sure that you join us on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and maybe, just maybe, we'll take phone calls during the after show today. And so we'll see how that goes. Maybe it'll be a disaster and this is a terrible idea. But we'll find out. We'll find out. So jump on with us, YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and we'll talk to you directly there. And if not, come back tomorrow morning. We're going to have all new content, but we won't be live. It'll be pre-recorded. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Apple, home of the salt community. This morning we celebrate Tuesday of the eighth week of ordinary time. This Mass is being offered for all those joining us through Guadalupe Radio Media and online.
Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, that the course of our world may be directed by your peaceful rule, and that your church may rejoice untroubled in her devotion. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Sirach. To keep the law is a great oblation, and he who observes the commandments sacrifices a peace offering. In works of charity, one offers fine flour, and when he gives alms, he presents his sacrifice of praise. To refrain from evil pleases the Lord, and to avoid injustice is an atonement. Appear not before the Lord empty-handed, for all that you offer is in fulfillment of the precepts. The just one suffering enriches the altar and rises as a sweet odor before the Most High. The just one's sacrifice is most pleasing, nor will it ever be forgotten. In a generous spirit, pay homage to the Lord. Be not sparing of freewill gifts. With each contribution, show a cheerful countenance and pay your tithes in the spirit of joy. Give to the Most High as he has given to you generously according to your means. For the Lord is one who always repays and he will always give back to you sevenfold. But offer no bribes, these he does not accept. Trust not in sacrifice of the fruits of exhortation, for he is a God of justice who knows no favorites. The word of the Lord. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. Gather my faithful ones before me, those who have made a covenant with, with me by sacrifice, and the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself is the judge. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. 
Hear my people, and I will speak. Israel, I will testify against you. God, your God, I am. To the upright, I will show the saving power of God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, but for your burnt offerings are before me always. To the upright, I will show the saving power of God. Offer to God praise as your sacrifice and fulfill your vows to the Most High. He that offers praise as a sacrifice glorifies me, and to him that goes the right way, I will show the salvation of God. To the upright, I will show the saving power of God. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia. 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 The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Peter began to say to Jesus, We have given up everything and followed you. Jesus said, Amen, I say to you, There is no one who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now in this present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many that are first will be last and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Liturgy of the Word really speaks to us of the generosity of God in return for the one who gives himself or herself completely to him and with a generous spirit. Today's liturgy, the word reminded me of a lady from my first uh, parish assignment as a priest back in Rome, Italy around the year 2005. There was a little old Bulgarian lady there named Mina Kolarova. She was a foreigner there and she was probably in her 80s and Mina would come to daily mass every day. Now in Rome, when you have to rely on the bus system, especially in the periphery, sometimes you'd have to wait for the bus for a long, long time. So this little old lady would stand outside and wait sometimes for 30, 40 minutes to catch a bus that would take her only about 300 yards. It happened one day that Mina fell sick and was no longer able to come to church. And so knowing her desire to receive the Lord, I would bring her communion every day after Mass on my way home from the parish to the residence where we lived. And every time I would come to bring communion to Mina, her gratitude was something which was unparalleled. And every day I would show up, she would have some kind of cake for me. She used to make three kind of cakes. One was a chocolate chip, another one was some kind of meringue, and the third one I can't remember exactly how I would call it. But it never failed. Every time I came to bring her communion, she was there waiting with another homemade cake that she had baked for me. I would tell her she didn't have to do it, but she wanted to do it. Something in a way where her generosity wouldn't be outdone. 
She appreciated the fact that I was bringing Jesus to her, and she wanted to make sure that her gratitude was known, and again, whatever I could do for her, she was always ready to do something more. In fact, often when I would come there, she would always tell me that I was like a son to her. I think in particular being a foreigner in a foreign land kind of made her feel that way. I always think of Mina a little bit when, into the context of today's Liturgy of the Word, where we hear about the generosity of God, which is to say, the one who approaches God to follow his law, to live in his ways, to live in trust and confidence and full of faith in God, not with an attitude of bribery to say, God, if I do this, then you should do this for me, but the one who gives themselves freely to God in trust and confidence God's generosity will never be outdone, and what he showers us with in return is always going to be infinitely greater than the meagerness of the offering of whatever it is that we bring to him. Today's gospel, Jesus makes that clear when he says, whoever gives his life for my sake and follows me, whoever sacrifices things of this world to follow me, will never be outdone in their generosity. And God will be the one to provide for them family. He'll be the one to provide for them home. But he most of all will be the one to provide for them eternal life. So my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us always be reminded of the importance of giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God, to do so freely without conditions, without parameters attached to it, knowing that whatever generosity we give in our relationship to God, God has never outdone, and what he gives us in return is so much greater. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for all bishops, that they would be guided by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in their decisions. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders, that they would be inspired to enact just laws that would protect and safeguard the dignity of human life from the first moment of conception, and laws that would never transgress the natural law. We pray to the Lord. For our family, friends, benefactors, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, for those who have asked for our prayers, and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the religious life and sacred priesthood, we pray to the Lord. And for an increase in the theological virtue of faith in our life, that we would never hesitate to give our lives completely to God in full trust and confidence, we pray to the Lord. For the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ, we pray to the Lord. For the souls of the faithful departed, that they would rest in eternal peace, we pray to the Lord. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, We pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and the glory of his name for our good and the good of all his holy church. O God, who provide gifts to be offered to your name and count our oblations as signs of our desire to serve you with devotion, we ask of your mercy that what you grant as the source of merit may also help us to attain merit's reward through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, His death we celebrate in love, His resurrection we confess with living faith, and His coming in glory we await with unwavering hope. And so with all the angels and saints we praise you, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenisun Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants, and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. For them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, 
especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas and Damian, and all your saints. We ask that through their merits and prayers in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven to you, O God, his Almighty Father, giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more, giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants who, though sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, Graciously grant some share and fellowship with your apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, 
Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, Sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, Debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, says the Lord. For those unable to receive Holy Communion at this time, my Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. 
I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. shepherd is whose goodness fails me never I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul, he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow, with food celestial feedeth. Let us pray. Nourished by your saving gifts, we beseech your mercy, Lord, that by this same sacrament with which you feed us in the present age, you may make us partakers of life eternal through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. O Santissima, O Pissima, Ducis Virgo Maria, Mater Amata, in temerata ora ora pro no obis virgo respice mater aspice audi no so the prayer to saint michael saint michael the archangel defend us in battle be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil may god rebuke him we humbly pray and do thou o prince of the heavenly host by the power of god cast into hell satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen.
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. If you want the truth, well, you're tuned to the right station.